This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. It isn't really a question of if they will happen, but when. I'm speaking about driverless cars. Yesterday, a British company unveiled such a vehicle that is starting to transport people around a town north of London. Now, this vehicle will only go up to 15 miles an hour, and it will be restricted to sidewalks, at least for now. But still, the technology moving ahead to the point that the expectation of us driving around on the highways in these vehicles is closer now than it has ever been. To discuss how far we've come and where we are going, we welcome back Wharton Professor John Paul McDuffie. Great to see you again, sir. Thanks, Dan. How far along is this process now? I mean, the, the, we're, we've obviously seen the next step taken here in Britain, but where are we here in the United States? Well, the I think the progress worldwide is, is moving pretty fast. Um, and... We have a story here with the technology racing ahead of uh, everything else, so including agreement on exactly how to uh, use the technologies, how to regulate them, how to insure them in this case. Um, I would say probably the most important distinction comes when you go from driver assist, for which there's a lot of technologies of increasing sophistication, to hands-off, and that's a ways in the future. And we should talk a lot about what it means when you cross that line. Yeah. And obviously that's what we have seen with the technology over the last few years with all of the things that have been added to vehicles. Uh, it, it is, it's that first step along the way of that whole process. Sure. And, you know, I mean, people, everybody knows about cruise control. Cruise control is an early kind of driver assist technology. Been around for a long time. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, and they've been coming along at it increasing pace. I think maybe it's even surprised the industry how fast the capabilities have increased. So, you know, you can buy an optional feature to let your car parallel park itself. You know, you get in the right position, you push the button and you take your hands off and it does the steering, the braking, the positioning, everything else. More more cars are even doing the, the, the sensor on both now it had been on the back of cars but now a lot of them are starting to do on the front of cars to make sure that 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 you avoid accidents as well yeah and i think the advance in sensors and the ability to process the sensor data is is one of the really big advances you know we've got vehicles already that have lane drift alert Mm -hmm. Um, but before long i think it'll be pretty common to have lane control in other words the little bit like cruise control. The car will keep you in the lane, won't just warn you if you're drifting. Yeah. In terms of, of the, 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 the science aspect to it and, and uh, the development and the technology of it, uh, from that perspective, how far along are we in terms of getting true driverless cars hands off? Well, like you pointed out, you know, this British example, which I haven't heard a lot about, is uh, shows that it can happen now. Google, of course, quite famously, has gotten a lot of attention here in the U.S., and they have vehicles that can also drive completely hands-off. They have thousands, hundreds of thousands maybe now of test miles to prove that. Now, they, for various reasons, they always have a, a driver in the vehicle who can take control but mm-hmm. who, yeah. who isn't. So I would say the technology is... Um, essentially is there now. Um, but I will say 
that Google recently announced they're going to focus their efforts on settings that are low speed and controlled access. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit like the British example. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the really complicated issues about the use of the t this technology go away when you get to very low speeds, which is safer, and when you don't have as many distractions for the vehicle to deal with. It, it seems like uh, from where we are uh, right now that uh, that that process, what we're seeing over in Britain right now, where it will be low speed and, and moving people you know, from from their house maybe to a business almost like you're running errands using using this type of technology that's the best way to start it and then build off of that yeah i think there's going to be two parallel developments one will be the automakers adding these advanced features steadily probably first as options but yeah. some will start to be mandated right so the the rear camera which shows you where you're backing up has mm -hmm. been an option for a number of years now it's going to be mandated in 2018 or something like that in, in the US. So that's gonna happen, you know, sort of right up to that point where it's hands off. And then there's gonna be this low speed controlled access, mm -hmm. full driverless set of experiments going on too. So we'll learn a lot from those two parallel tracks. Obviously, when you get companies like Google that are very interested in it, uh, Uber seems to be very interested in it as well. Uh, there are a lot of, of uh, pieces to this puzzle are almost like a spider web going out that everybody wants to kind of be a part of it because they see what the future is and they see the benefit, financial benefit, not even just the, the benefit for the consumer in terms of moving around, but they see that financial benefit down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of buzz and excitement about this now. And uh, you find all kinds of people, you know, trying to speculate forward. So what if we had a lot of these driverless vehicles? What would it do to total number of miles driven? Some people say it would be more. Some people say yeah. it would be less. What would it do to total car sales? Same same kind of range of predictions. Um, what's it going to do to the employment of truck drivers if <laughs> trucks can all go in a convoy? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the, again, the technology is ahead of what uses we'll have all the complicated issues are yet to work out, but it's that exciting moment where uh, everybody's, uh, you know, filled with all the the visions of the future. Well, and you brought up interesting, which actually I read an article yesterday uh, that was on CNET mm -hmm. that talked about, I guess, uh, some data that the University of Michigan had put together about the future sales. Yep. Uh, for the auto industry and the concerns about auto sales going down by almost a half. Now. I, I take that a little bit with a grain of salt because I would think that if we're going to see this technology move forward, it's going to end up being the auto industry that's going to be doing it, sure. and they're going to be the ones that are going to be selling it. So I, I don't know about that information yeah. specifically off the well, top. Well, I, I, I read that report yesterday, so fortunately it wasn't too long. Um, <laughs> I can tell you exactly what they focused in on. Um, they had some data from a big survey of, of individuals' transportation habits and yeah. patterns. So they looked for how many people... Uh, do dr transportation tasks during the day mm -hmm. by themselves or with other people and how much overlap there is in timing. So they focused in on this idea that if somebody's car could drop them off at work and come home by yeah. itself and be there for any other member of the household to use it for errands all day yeah. and then go back and pick the person up at work and bring them home, 
how much would that reduce demand for vehicles? Because they found an awful lot of the second vehicle mm-hmm. is to cover the fact that one vehicle's at work sure, yeah. and then people are at home and need to do errands. So that's the entire focus of it. And they add a hundred caveats about why that's not the whole story. Um, but that's, you know, that's one of the interesting um, scenarios. The, the, the part of that that obviously for me, I just, me personally, I know is that I have my car and I love having my car. And even when I was married, my wife at the time had her car. We like to have that separation, that sure. freedom. And, and, and that's something that I don't know if, if the consumer will ever go away from that's a that's almost a learned habit that is ingrained in us obviously from the time that we're about 16 years of age and we get our our uh, our our, uh, our permit license yeah. and you get started into that that's just kind of the way the, that society has gone and i don't know if you can change that yeah i don't expect that to change i i really do think that's one of the universal human uh, desires is for autonomy and and freedom and it it's very strong as you emerge from adolescence and and cars are going to represent that and continue yeah. to um you know, I, I guess I think of almost three categories. There's the driving everyone loves, where you're out, you're free, you're not too curtailed by congestion or something, you can go where you want to go. Yep. There's the driving you hate, where you're stuck in a traffic jam, <laughs> and you have to be there at that moment, and there's nothing to do but but endure it. And then there's the times you're someone's driving for you. You know, you're in a taxi, you're in a limo, whatever. Sure, yeah. So, you know, if the self-driving car is a feature you can turn off, so when you want to drive and have fun, you can have fun. But when you're in that traffic jam, you can do your email or catch up on it, take a nap. And then if somebody's driving you around, one of the options is a driverless version of that. That's yeah. where Uber gets interested. Yeah. Then you know, then it's it's not necessarily all bad from the point of view of losing that freedom experience of the car. In terms of the U.S., do you think that we will see the adoption of driverless cars? first maybe with the ubers of the world and i've read google wants to get their own car service situation going on well we see that first and maybe because of and they haven't been widespread but they've certainly been publicized quite a bit the issues that uber has had with their drivers in other countries around the world you know with issues of 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 attacks and and you know are they are they they're not being vetted as well you know that would seem to be an area where maybe uber has the the best of both worlds yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some of the uh, comments of, of folks at Uber, and they point out, I think, very correctly that the time frames of these different things are very different, right? So they talk about the employment, uh, extra employment that they can offer. Yeah. Then some of those issues have come up ar- around that. And they talk about this driverless car experiment. If you think of those being separated by 20, 25 years, then they're not really incompatible. Right. Um, go back to the British example and the Google example. Imagine that in some central cities where things are really congested, some city decides to set up a certain area where in a separate lane, these driverless low-speed cars sure. can yeah. operate um, you know, as a service, as a transportation service. Yeah. Well, Uber could be in that game. Google could be in that game. Any number of others possibly could emerge to be in that game. Um, that's exactly that low-speed controlled access thing that's going to be easiest to implement. And that might come, you know, sooner rather than later. I'm sure it's more complicated than I'm making out right. because to actually have those dedicated lanes is not so simple in a big city. Well, it, 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 we did a, a show on this uh, several months back is the fact that how many cities are changing uh, the way their their roads are set up to incorporate bike lanes even more and more. Right. So if you have those lanes already as part of your plan, you know, who's to say that the development of said vehicle isn't a 
one passenger sure. vehicle That's right. that ends up being small enough kind of similar to having a bike. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, these don't have to be, I mean, this, the technology is sophisticated enough that Google now is taking them on everything from freeways to complicated suburban, you know, sure. areas yeah. where there's a lot of streets coming from every direction. So the, And they certainly have all the mapping t- taken that, care of already. That's right, that's right. But the, the, the liability, the risk factors of accidents get so much simpler if you can control how many distractions and rare events and freaky events the vehicle has to deal with. 844 Wharton is the number if you'd like to join in the conversation. Are you uh, someone that believes that driverless cars, uh, we know that they're coming, but do you feel like you would would feel comfortable with one? Would you join in this adoption? Would you enjoy uh, being part of this innovation? 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Josh is in Cincinnati, Ohio with a question. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you, and uh, John Paul, uh, Josh Beatty here, Wharton Grad 09. Hey, Josh, how are you? <laughs> Doing well. Um, hey, uh, so my question is, working for Nissan, a company that's on the uh, forefront of driverless vehicles, uh, my question is really about EVs. And how does EVs overlap with driverless vehicles, especially with the grass prices being where they are and kind of taking a breath on EV right now? Uh, yep. How does that play into our future? Great question. I was uh, I was just at a conference in Europe right before uh, Christmas, and it was focused on electromobility, and uh, but there was a greater focus on some of these new um, mobility business models. Of course, EVs have slowed down everywhere because of gas prices and slow development of infrastructure, etc. But um, I would say in Europe, there's quite a lot of interest in where ride-sharing business models cross with EV. Mm-hmm. Um, Take something like uh, in Paris, they have Autolib, uh, which is an entrepreneur not connected with any of the car companies with the city of Paris. They have charging stations, electric vehicles that you can pick up there, and you can, when you reserve it, you commit to drop it off at another charging station, but you don't have to bring hmm. it back to the first one. Um, there's enough of these charging stations now that EV users like uh, Nissan Leaf or, or uh Users in Paris can use the, any available one at a subsidized rate. So they're starting to blend them a little bit. Now, that's still someone, a person is driving it. Yeah. But imagine if the vehicles uh, start to have the capability, you could have some of those vehicles could be driverless. And one of the big problems with these ride-sharing things is is the distribution. So it's like bike-sharing, too. Everybody wants to pick them up at one place in the morning, sure. and then yeah. later on they want them someplace else. So how do you get them from point to point? Well. With bike sharing programs, they pick them up in big trucks and they move them. Um, driverless vehicle feature that could actually be part of the redistributing redistrib- of of the capacity in the network yeah. would be great. So I think there's a lot of potential there. But now you've got two technologies that are struggling to overcome a lot of barriers that have to do both at the same time. Josh, great question. Thanks very much for calling in. I guess then if you're talking about that redistribution of of vehicles, then you're talking about uh, obviously, you know, having a, a very detailed, almost GPS system that would be able to, you would be able to program them uh, and say, okay, we need three cars yep. to move five miles across town. Here's the, you know, here's the address. Let's move them and get and get them going. Plug them in and let them go. Yeah, imagine in that case, you know, the, the, it could it could pick a very slow, very quiet route. Yeah, 
because out of the uh, way of traffic, it's, it's such a huge gain to be able to redistribute it all. There's yeah. not a lot of time pressure. What about it, it, with it, with all of that technology that will be incorporated in these vehicles? Uh, the, the concerns of security and and the technology of them, because certainly, you know, we've talked a lot about hacking and and uh, the the issues of that with business, and we're going to talk about it with about small business coming yep. up. But that yep. is certainly a consideration that has to be put in the formula. Yeah, and you know, as vehicles get more and more electronics and information technologies in them, um, all the same issues that come up in the computing world will come up, and auto industry typically hasn't hasn't had to think about them in the same way. I mean, the earliest uh, software in vehicles was typically, uh, they called it embedded software, it was burned to silicon. So there was one way the program worked, it was burned into the silicon, you couldn't change it, you couldn't reprogram it, that was it. Well, that was for a lot of reasons, including an early phase of sophistication, but it was completely secure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Now, of course, a lot has advanced since then, but I was just out in, in Silicon Valley after some teaching in our San Francisco campus doing some interviews on this. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the technologists I talked to there say, well, you know, the, the, the vehicle really has different kinds of uh, needs for connectivity, and those are probably going to be set up separately. So for entertainment and Wi-Fi, um, for, you know, getting to a hotspot. So that's one Wi-Fi radio. Well, yeah. that's going to be an open connection. Sure, but yeah, you yeah. want to keep that really separate from any of the controls of any part of the vehicles. Those may be firewalled. So imagine there's multiple, some wired, some wireless technologies, yeah. and they're kind of operating separately so you can have different security protections. We're, we're, but it's it's a brave new world, and, and I think there's a report coming out Monday from uh, Ed Markey, is a, a congressman from Massachusetts, raising the alarm on this issue, mostly for the Wi-Fi um, type communications. Well, and obviously, in terms of the adoption, a lot of people have uh, throw out the example of drones right now in the fact that, you know, the technology is there. We are seeing it used overseas at some level. Uh, but obviously, a lot of people bring up the, the, uh, the issues that have happened here in the United States, the most recent one being the drone that ended up landing on the White House lawn. That's right. There was also an incident, I don't even know if you noticed it, that happened here in Philadelphia of somebody flying a drone near the ballpark, the the baseball stadium down Uh here in Philadelphia, and the police stopped him from Uh doing that. Uh I happened to catch the video on YouTube. And, you know, those security concerns are obviously part of the formula from the the regulation end of things that will slow down not only that process— but we'll probably slow down driverless cars as well. Yeah. Now, for for people in the IT world, um, one answer they have for this is take technologies that we already know really well from computing, Mm -hmm. put those in the car, because then we can, whatever is our highest standard in outside the car world, we can start to bring it into the car. An example is Ethernet. So uh, BMW has started to be, I think they're the first to adopt a new standard for automotive Ethernet. Wow. And um, apparently it offers a lot of advantages that you, you, you have less cabling. A, a typical uh, Camry, I was just told, has 300 to 500 pounds of cables. 
because you have all these different cables. They all have a lot of shielding on them, so they don't interfere with each other. Sure, yeah. And um, to to produce various kind of redundancy. So this Ethernet is a simple twisted pair, and it doesn't need to be shielded. And anyway, it has. And but the the main thing from the point of view of security is all the things that we've learned about doing security over Ethernet yeah. could come into the vehicle. So that's the technologist's view of, sure. of how to fix this. So uh, th- then it becomes an issue of being able to relay that information to the powers that be and having them understand that the level of safety, the level of security is as good as you would get in your Fortune 500 company. Uh, yeah, well, it's not there yet. But And, yeah. and, and look, I, I definitely expect that driverless cars and this whole area we're talking about is going to end up being regulated. I think yeah. cars are you know heavy, fast-moving objects that kill people yeah. if they're not uh, well-controlled. And so um, what exactly that means. I mean, one of the really interesting issues with driverless cars are the, the software rules that govern the decision that may happen in a, a, a critical moment. Sure. So imagine yeah. you've got a situation where uh, somebody has to swerve because there's suddenly an obstacle in the road, and on one side is a little kid, and on the other side is a is an old person. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, the algorithm presumably is going to choose one or the other, and let's imagine by the size of the person, it can detect something about what the likelihood is. Well, so... Do we want software making a choice to on human lives? On human lives, yeah. right? Uh, and on some, you know, some. Okay, well, kill the old person because they don't have as much life left as the kid. I mean, these are these are some really complicated. Once once it's hands off and you don't have a person attentively watching things, yeah. Then all these liability and ethical and insurance issues come up. Well, and, and you bring up an interesting point because let, let's just say, you know, for an example, for those people that drive around Philadelphia. Uh, there's a road called the Schuylkill Expressway, which is the main thoroughfare through town, Interstate 76. Yep. There tends to be a little road rage on, mm-hmm. on, on I-76, <laughs> just like there would be on many highways in New York and L.A. and Chicago and Boston. And, you know, you can pick Atlanta, D.C., around the Beltway. You pick the town. And, and if you get to a level of having those cars on the road, it's not like all of them are going to be the same car. You're going to have the human factor dealing with right. this technology, which are two pieces that at times will not go together. That's right. Anytime you make a, a kind of transition of any kind of technology like this, you're going to have the coexistence of the old and the new yeah. um, for a very long time and maybe forever in this case. Um, and, you know, again, back to the rules in the software, the rules in the software will probably tell the car to obey traffic laws, right? Sure, yeah. Stop yeah. sign, stop. come to a full stop. Well, who hasn't done a rolling stop <laughs> exactly. in the middle of the night? <laughs> exactly. Um, and ha- A, how annoying might that be? But B, is it sometimes not safe? I lived in Boston for many years, and everybody complained that Boston drivers were crazy. But if you were a Boston driver, you said, well, we understand each other. Exactly. And as long yeah. as I'm dealing with another Boston driver, we're very efficient. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> people, people say that, like, if, if a Philadelphian drives up to New York, we say the same thing. That's right. About drivers yeah. in New York. Uh, Jeffrey is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Jeffrey, welcome to Knowledge of Wharton. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I, I just... I work for a company that that does uh, GPS tracking systems. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I sell the, the software to, to large fleet companies. Okay. A um, couple things. First of all, last year I went to a large conference out in Nashville and, and got to hear a speaker, Peter, Peter Diamante. Okay. Um, yeah. The name sounds familiar. And he, and he, yeah, he touched on uh, 
the uh, the future is as far as driverless vehicles, and and he says whether we like it or not, it's coming. Yep. Um, which would be huge, obviously, in the trucking business because mm-hmm. their largest expense is is drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, I think, some of the larger companies are are, are expecting with uh, great hope for something like this to happen sooner rather than later. Um, and then, and then the second part that I had I had wanted to say was that I don't see real well. I do drive. I drive carefully, but I believe a, a driverless vehicle would make me obviously a safer driver on the highway. Yeah, yeah, and and we could have started there. Uh, one of the big attractions of this technology is, uh, you know, how much safer driving could be without various sources of human error and sure. human, you know, difficulty and perception taken taken out of the picture. Um, no, I absolutely agree. And, and with with trucking, you know, trucking has often been faster to innovate with a lot of these technologies than cars, than passenger cars. And again, you have a, a somewhat more um, controlled situation. But, you know, a trucking company with a fleet and, you know, figuring out the technology that works for that fleet. I've heard people say that a, a fully unattended convoy maybe isn't where it would start, but maybe a, a, a lead a lead truck with a driver mm-hmm. and then other trucks that are, you know, able to drive in essentially a, a you know, a, a convoy uh, without a driver in every truck. Right. And I, I would guess, I don't follow trucking quite as closely, but I would guess that that's not too far away as a scenario, particularly on the wide open spaces of the interstates, you know, where there's not any, any traffic to deal with. Or any you know traffic signals not and as, stops and right not as much you can just go for you hundreds can, of miles yeah. and it's not a not as big a concern exactly exactly Jeffrey uh, all the best to you thanks very much and uh, congratulations on being able to get out there and 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 drive with the with the issues with your site thanks very much for coming on uh, a couple more minutes to go so then we we've talked about the technology and 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 the time frame that we're talking about here realistically for for driverless cars not necessarily like trucks that we were talking about yep we're still a ways away yeah so again imagine that the driver assist technologies uh are going to keep being added by the automakers and some will be options so not everyone will will have it that'll probably move pretty fast but that's up to the line at which people can actually take their hands off and their attention away yeah and that's a game changer. And that, I think, is quite a long way away. And not maybe because of the technology as much as for the regulatory, sure. the consumer behavior changes, uh, et cetera. It would be an unbelievable consumer change, you know, yes. behavior change to yeah. have to deal with. And we might want to just think of uh, smaller things being the, the most likely first implementation. So we already talked about the small city car. Yeah. Um, Another thing people talk a lot about is uh, somebody who's highly disabled who has to be picked up now in a van, for yep. example, and, and there's a lot of, there's never enough capacity, there's a lot of waiting, a lot of frustration in there. Sure. Um, perhaps for fairly local, low-speed errands, uh, this kind of a driverless car that could pick somebody up and take them places. Somebody that's is, in a wheelchair and can yes. basically just 
drive your wheelchair right up into the vehicle. That's right. That's right. Um, I've I've read some reports that suggest that could be a huge quality of life oh, changer. Absolutely. And, you know, the number of people affected is not as much as the whole driving population of the world right. doing driverless cars. But it could be and it could also be a place where a lot is learned about how these vehicles work. That's what I was going to say, because it, it can end up being a proving ground exactly. for, you know, the first start of the technology to be able to take that next step to be able to have true driverless cars somewhere down the road. Yeah. And, and, you know, look at what Google's done. They've been collecting data for years, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles of, of data, which they can analyze. Yeah. Big, big data analytics on an increasing database of different uses of these cars is going to be huge to improving the software and our confidence in using it. Another amazing part of innovation. Yeah. Like, I mean, you think about all the things that are being innovated right now, medical industry, business, really you, you know, this is just another one of those yeah. amazing things that we're going to see change over the next 50 years. Yeah. The yeah, auto industry is over 100 years old. This is probably the biggest set of changes overall uh, since the 20s. John, thanks for coming in. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.